Our scripture reading for this morning is Proverbs chapter 6, verses 1 through 19. That's Proverbs chapter 6, verses 1 through 19. If you're using one of the blue pew Bibles in front of you, that's on page 530. Let's stand together as we uh, read God's word. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter. Like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber. And want like an armed man. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, and perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. You may be seated as we take some moments to reflect on God's word. If you're new here this morning, we are spending our summer trying to get wise by looking at the book of wisdom in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs. And this morning we find ourselves in Proverbs chapter 6. Because we live in a coastal community, most of us are pretty familiar with the signs that are at their end of almost every beach access. You know what that sign says? Beware of a rip current, right? It's got a little sign of how rip current happens, and they're mostly at the end of the beach accesses because they don't want you to get in there and swim and not realize that you might be in some kind of danger. And the way a, a rip current uh, uh, happens is that there's a sandbar usually just beneath where the waves are breaking. And so as the waves break, they rush up on the shore, and in that sandbar, there's some sort of low spot. And so as the water rushes back out, it has a tendency to funnel into this low spot. And so it's rushing back out at a much more rapid pace than any other place. And if you're not careful, if you get caught in the rip current, you could be standing in the surf, and suddenly you could be in some pretty deep water, and you could be in danger. And some, with some, sometimes people die because they try to swim against that tide and they can't get back in. 
So they're trying to tell you, be aware, be aware, look out for the signs that you might be in a rip current and avoid. But if you do get in a rip current, then they tell you, you know, swim sideways along the coast and then come back in. So we're very familiar with that sort of uh, idea because we live in Wilmington. And what I want you to do this morning is consider chapter 6 of Proverbs a sign, and it's telling you there are four very dangerous rip currents you can get caught in. And it's going to be easy to remember these rip currents because the first one is the dangers of debt. That's chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Then secondly, the dangers of being a deadbeat, verses 6 through 11. Number three, the dangers of discord, verses 12 through 19. And finally, the passage we didn't read because we talked about this last week, the dangers of adultery. So the dangers of debt, the dangers of deadbeats, the dangers of discord, and the dangers of adultery. And we're going to talk about those first three. It, the, the, the wise father is trying to tell his son as he's embarking on the world, son, there's some dangerous rip currents. And if you're not careful, you can get swept out to sea and you might drown. You might actually take other people with you. And he doesn't want him to do that. And so the very first danger he mentions here is this dangerous uh, rip current of debt. Now, now the, the, the rip current of debt has drowned many people. And let's look at what he's specifically referencing here. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, you have given your pledge for a stranger. If you are snared in the words of your mouth, you're caught in the words of your mouth. So what's happening here is, first of all, I want you to know that this issue here of debt, it's not a salvation issue. It's a wisdom issue. So you could be in debt and you could still be saved, but you might be drowning, and he's trying to avoid that for you. So what we're talking about here is wisdom. And this idea is circled around a couple of different times in Proverbs 11:15. Whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm. But he who hates striking hands in pledge is secure. Proverbs 17:18. One, the one who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of his danger of his neighbor. So today what we would call this particular activity is co-signing. So what would happen is somebody goes to the bank and they need some money and the bank says we can't give you any money. You either have bad credit, you don't have enough income, whatever the reason is, this institution who lends money all the time is determined that this person can't pay the money back or they're too big of a risk. And so that person says, well, I need somebody to co-sign. I needed somebody to put their assets on my line. Does that make sense? So you go and you ask a friend, a neighbor, a family member and say, hey, can you be good for my debt in case I don't pay? Oh, I'm going to pay. You don't have to worry about that. But just in case the bank is right, who lends money all the time that I will not be able to pay, then can you come in and pay for me? And today, mostly that happens within a family. You, you, some, some nephew, some niece, some daughter, some son, some parent comes and says, I, I, I've got this bad credit, but you know me, you love me, can you co-sign? And according to Proverbs, if you do this, then you lack good judgment. 
and you're caught in this dangerous rip current. Because if your friend doesn't pay, if your family member doesn't pay, you get to pay. And what you're doing when you're doing that and really getting into any kind of debt, you're making promises for a future you can't control. And so what does Proverbs 22.7 famously say about debt? The borrower is a slave to the lender. So the father is trying to use the most um, exaggerated language, or maybe I should say the most vivid language, so you would understand that you, you, you could get caught in a snare. You could be enslaved. And so what happens is you become enslaved for somebody else's debt. Or if the person can't pay and you have to run in and you have to pay, then that person, your friend, your neighbor, your family member, guess what happens? They become enslaved to you. So now you have a family member who's in slavery to you. And and what this wise father is saying is that can drown an entire family. You can just have one family member who can't seem to pay their bills, and you're not just giving them money. You can give money. That's fine. What you're saying is I'm going I'm to co-sign for your debt, and then what happens is your son becomes enslaved to his dad. And when that happens, your dynamics, your family dynamics completely change. And you can, you can get a whole family sucked out into the deep end and a whole family network can, can drown. And so this wise father is saying, please don't get into that kind of, that kind of rip current. But if you have gotten into the rip current, then he gives us some advice, verses three through five. If you've gotten caught in this, verse three, then do this, my son, save yourself. Or in another version says, free yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go. Hasten, plead urgently. You can't miss this, uh, this immediacy. Go to your neighbor. Give no sleep to your eyes. No, let, let your eyelids know no slumber. Save yourself. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. You just can't, you can't miss his urgency. And some of you, if you're familiar with Dave Ramsey, uh, the guy who doesn't like debt, which is good, that he doesn't like that. You might remember he shows this video when he talks about this at his seminar. He's saying if you've gotten in debt, then you've gotten ensnared. You've gotten enslaved. And how do you get out of it? You don't wander out of it. You have to have some kind of intensity. You have to have some kind of a, a, a urgency. And he shows this sort of animal kingdom video where the hunter is going after the gazelle. Now, if you're a gazelle, what are you being hunted by primarily? The cheetah or the lion, right? And you've all seen these nature shows, have you not? The little gazelle just dancing around, <laughs> right? And, and the cheetah or the lion in the high grass, and you, you, you know, they have all these drum beats in the background. It's all this intensity. And then suddenly the cat realizes, i got to go for it right now. And a cheetah can go from zero to 60 in four leaps. And the gazelle, all out, right? And the gazelle, he is running or she is running for his life. They're not like, well, I don't know. Let's see. They're like, no, my life is on the line. I've got to get out of this. Go, gazelle. And you're, you're, you're sensitive to the, nobody's cheering for the cheetah. 
They're like, yeah, a little, because that's like Bambi. You know, it's like your, your friend. And, of course, most of the time, they, somebody gets caught. But in this particular video that Dave Ramsey shows, the gazelle actually frees himself. He gets away. And you want to be like, yeah! And that's what Proverbs chapter 6 is saying. If you've gotten yourself enslaved into a debt, it can suck the life out of you. It can suck a whole family down. And the reason I'm particularly passionate about this is I've been able to see it myself. When I was in high school, my parents had some financial problems, some just circumstantially, some poor choices. And, of course, I wasn't super in tune with it, but I could just tell there was an added level of stress in our home. And so I remember maybe a 10th or 11th grade, my mom was just saying, I'm just always tired. I'm so tired. And I said, Mom... Look, just go to bed early tonight, and I'll never forget what she said. I'm the kind of tired that sleep can never help. She was enslaved, and I hated it. I hated it. It sucked her down. It started sucking our whole family down. And so the father and me are begging you we're pleading urgently with you don't get enslaved don't don't let your life get sucked down this tube of debt i mean the the way the bible describes how you should use your money is so simple it's very hard to do but it's not complicated you get a hundred dollars you give ten percent that's the very first thing you do The second thing you do is you save some money. Might be 10%, might be 15%, whatever it is. And then whatever's left over, that's what you live on. It's really not complicated. But in our culture, the very first thing you do with your $100 is you spend. And then if you have some left over, you spend it. And you get to 100 and you say, I still need some more stuff. And you borrow So God's plan is to give, to save, and to live. And our culture is to spend, to spend, and to borrow. And what this wise father is saying is, that's a rip current. It's not a salvation issue. It's a wisdom issue. But it can suck you down. It can suck a whole family down. So the first danger, this danger of debt. The second danger it's this danger of deadbeats. Now, I just had to use a D word because it sounded better. But the word they use here is being a sluggard. But I couldn't say sluggard. It didn't work. So I just said deadbeats. So he's saying there's a danger. There's a danger of being a sluggard. There's a danger of being a deadbeat. And Proverbs actually says quite a lot about being a sluggard all the way through. It mentions this here. I'll mention a few other verses. And it gives us some characteristics. And I want us to think about a few of these characteristics of a sluggard. Verses 9 and 10. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. So one characteristic of the sluggard is he can just he can never quite get started. It's just I, if I could just take a nap, 
If I could just sleep a little bit longer, there's always just a little, I just need a little sleep, a little slumber, and then I'm going to get started. And that's one way of looking at it. But one commentator said this, for the sluggard, there's always the need to do something other than the task at hand. Now, let me say that again. For the sluggard, there's always the need to do something other than the task at hand. In, in other words, there's real work to be done, but instead of zeroing in on the most important thing or what really needs to do, be done, you're super busy doing a bunch of things that don't mean very much. So you come to the person and they say, man, I'm super busy. And they really are. But they're not doing the things that are important. You know somebody like this? If you do, they drive you crazy. They do a bunch of stuff, but you say, but did you get your homework done? Well, I mean, gosh, my room was a mess. That's not what we're about today. We're about this one thing. Could you tackle that? Could you approach that? And they always have some other things to do. And I'm very familiar with this because I saw this in my own life when I was in college. Now, I was a slugger before that, but I just wasn't smart enough to see it. But in college, what would happen is I would have a big test or a big paper or a big exam, and I would go back to my apartment, and I'd carve out all kinds of time, you know, 7 to 11 or whatever amount of time. I'm going to sit at my desk. I'm going to just chain myself to the desk, and I'm going to study. Now, I never really liked cleaning my apartment until I had to study. And then the moment I really had to focus on an exam, I noticed all the things in my apartment that needed to be cleaned. And you can always tell when I had a big exam because my apartment was super clean. Because I would always find other things to do than this main thing. I would, oh, I gotta make my bed and I gotta clean the shower and I gotta go to the kitchen. I gotta do all this stuff. And why was it? I was really just being a sluggard. I, I can't seem to attack the main thing. And once I realized that, I went to the science library. It's never tempted to pick up the big science books and read them. So I would go to the science library and say, there's only one thing to do here. It's this most important thing. And you've got to know that about yourself. Maybe you just sleep too much. But maybe you're busy doing a lot of things, but you can't seem to get to the most important thing. That's one of the characteristics of a sluggard. A second characteristic of a sluggard is They can start things, but they can't finish. Proverbs 12, 27. Whoever is slothful may roast his game. They may roast it, but they can't get around to cooking it. I'm I'm sorry. Whoever, Whoever is slothful will roast his game. In other words, he's got game, but he will not roast it. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game. He went out and hunted. He brought it back, but he can't roast it. He can't finish it. Proverbs 19:24. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. I get started, but I can't bring it back to my mouth. So I don't know if you know somebody like this. They're great at getting things started, but they just can't finish. They got a bunch of things that are, you know, 10% in, 50% in, but they can never seem to get finished. They look very busy because they're always starting things, but they can't get to the end. And so this is a kind of sluggardness, a third characteristic. The sluggard has a good, has just excellent at making excuses for not working. 
Proverbs 24, the sluggard does not plow in the autumn or when it's cold. That's when you plow. So he will seek a harvest and have nothing. See, you plow when it's cold outside so your field is ready for spring. But the sluggard doesn't do that. Why? It's too cold outside. I mean, let it warm up. I need a sunnier day. I just have an excuse why I can't get to it right now. Proverbs twenty-two thirteen. the sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. I mean, I know I'm supposed to do that, but look at all the risks. I mean, what could possibly happen to me? I might get devoured if I try to do that. And so they always have these good excuses. They always irrationalize why they're not working. They always say, hey, I'm just about ready to start. I don't know if that's any of you all. I'm just about ready to start. As soon as this other project's over, I'm going to get to it. As soon as I get a nap, I'm going to get to it. All their hard work is always just around the corner. But what they don't realize is their whole life is a bunch of corners. And they never actually get to anything that's meaningful. And again, the wise father gives another animal kingdom reference to the solution. Go to the ant. You can hear him just yelling at his son. I mean, look, an ant has 250,000 brain cells. 250,000. A human, 86 million. So what the father is nicely saying is, you idiot. Just go to an ant that has almost no brain capacity. Surely you can see this. And what does the ant do? Without any chief, without any ruler, it goes out. It gets its work done. It brings it back in the summertime. So when it gets cold, he's ready. So if an ant is doing that, please, son, you can do that. Don't get sucked out in this sluggardly way. Be proactive. Be diligent. Stop making excuses. Stop saying, well, just after a nap or it's just around the corner or what might happen if I actually get started. Now, I think this is primarily talking about work. But I want to make a spiritual application. I want to ask you this question. Are you a spiritual sluggard? Some of you will say, don't make this application, Paul. Just go to the, just keep with the work one. You can't ever seem to get started. When you're very busy, but, but you can't zero in on the most meaningful thing. That's your relationship with the Lord. Oh, if I look at your calendar, thing after thing after thing, and, and good things, but distracting things from the main thing. You can never really focus on the Lord because you've got all these other things going in your life. Or you're great at getting started, but you can't finish. Oh, I'm doing this new Bible reading plan, and I get a week into it or two weeks in it, but I can't finish it. Oh, i got this great devotional plan. And you've got Bible reading plans and devotional books, and they're so high. But you've never really gotten past, you know, page 20 on any of them. You, you get started. You have a lot of energy, but you're not a finisher. You can't get all the way through the Bible or all the way through the devotion. That's a kind of spiritual sluggishness. Or you always have an excuse. And here's my personal favorite. 
oh, this is a busy season. I mean, as soon as I get past, and you say it, that then I'm going to have time. That is foolishness. That is the saying of a fool. And you say, whatever, where you are, as soon as I get to the summer, I'm going to have time. Well, now I've got all this time. I, I need to be on schedule. As soon as school starts back, I'm going, to have, I'm going to make that time. As soon as my kid's back to school, I'm going to have time. As soon as this big project at work is over, I'm going to have time. As soon as this busy season of the church is, see, it's thousands of excuses. And you're super busy, but you just can't get to it. Or you always believe foolishly in your mind, your spiritual life is just around the corner. But it never arrives. You've got all the plans, you've got all this stuff, but you never actually get to it. I wonder if you're getting sucked out in this sluggardliness of not really taking the Lord seriously, of not really working hard of ending, ending up being a spiritual deadbeat. One of the worst characteristics of a slugger, the, the uh, last one, is this, that when you take seven wise men with you, the sluggard will say, he's right. And the way of saying seven is a, is a word of, Complete perfection. So just in this passage, there are six things that the Lord hates, no seven. So what happens with a sluggard is even if he has the perfect wise person who comes to him, he's going to say, no, I'm right. And I'm wondering if a perfectly wise person came to you this morning and said, you might be gaining the whole world, but you're losing your soul. Could you slow down? And be with Jesus? Or would you say to Jesus, oh, next week? See, that's foolishness. Third danger. Danger of debt. Danger of deadbeats or a sluggard. Danger of discord. These are rip currents. But if, you don't, if you're not careful, you get swept out into deep water. And then you can, you can free yourself, but... There are problems, and this third danger happens to be particularly strong because it can rip multiple people out into the deep water and drown them, which is why the Lord very strongly says he hates it. This is something that the Lord hates, and that is discord. You see that in verse 14. With perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Verse 16, there's six things the Lord hates. No, seven. What's the very last one? The one who sows discord. The one who stirs up conflict in a community. I can remember my mom saying, hey, that guy in your class, don't hang out with him. I was like, what's wrong with him? He stirs up trouble wherever he goes. She could just see it. Just somehow this guy, he's always stirring stuff up. And it's never good. And the Lord hates this kind of person who comes into a community and stirs up conflict. How do they stir up conflict? Verse 12, by crooked speech. They take sort of 
little bits of truth and they twist them to really mean something differently. Now, today, the media and politics, wow. You take a little snippet and then you twist it to mean something it really wasn't designed to mean. You take it out of context. And they do it to stir things up, to get you on their side, to to create a division. Second, they wink. You see this body language in verse 13 and following. They signal with their eyes. They use their feet. They point with their fingers. And, And I think the best way to describe this is just when you're in a group, somebody's body language is stirring something up. So somebody's talking, and somebody else in the group, let's say your family, they're like rolling their eyes. What is that saying? The person who's talking is an idiot. Don't, nobody here should be listening to that person. Do you see what you're doing? These little pieces of body language, you're, you're coming into the group, and it's saying, no, let's tear apart. You come to my side. Don't listen to that side. Third, they sow discord. We saw that. Great picture. They're planting something in your mind. They're planting a suspicion about another person or the group. And when was this this first sown in the Bible? Somebody came in and, and sowed some suspicion, some discord. Genesis chapter 3. Did God really say? And it was just sowing a little seed of suspicion, which led to discord and disaster. And so God hates this when he sees it. I've always found it interesting that in the list of character qualities for an elder, 1 Timothy 3, one of the qualities is not quarrelsome. So if you want to be in the leadership position of the church, you can't be quarrelsome. So you could be doctrinally sound and straight as an arrow. But if you're unkind about it, you can't be in leadership. Because we've all been in groups like this. That somebody comes in, and when they come in, it's discord. It's, it's just things get out of harmony, and you're like, gosh... This is a difficult thing now because they, they come in and they're stirring things up. Now, we're going to get back to this in a later sermon, but Proverbs 18.21 says, Life and death are in the power of the tongue. And we're going to spend a whole sermon talking about the tongue because that, that, this, the power of the tongue, is mentioned in Proverbs more than anything else outside of wisdom. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. So I want you to just consider a team that you're on, a family, a church, a business, a sports team, whatever it is. When you talk, do people come alive? Do you add like fertilizer or do they start shutting down? Does your choice of words, does your body language bring a team together or does it cause the team to split apart? Seeing sowing discord, being quarrelsome, speaking words of death rather than words of life, you can suck a whole church through a rip current, which is why God hates it. He hates people who come in and sow discord. 
in the family of God and even in their own families. So the world is full of rip currents. We've mentioned three here. You can get sucked out and there are ways to get out of it. But the best way is just to cry out to Jesus. God, I see it. Can you help me? You remember when Peter gets out of the boat? He's walking on the water. And what does he do? He takes his eyes off Jesus. And what happens? He starts to sink. And the shortest, most urgent prayer was prayed right at that point. Lord, help me. Right? I mean, how long does it take you when you start sinking? Not long. I'm drowning. Help. You got to cry out. You got to say, Lord, you have spoken to me. I'm, I'm, I'm getting sucked out. I've gotten sucked out. I'm in danger of sucking other people out. I don't want to do that. Can you help me is the very first thing you need to do. The second thing you need to do is find somebody and say, can you help me? Somebody else has to swim alongside you like a lifeguard and say, can you help me get out of this situation? You're not just going to be able to do it by yourself. You need somebody or group to say, hey, I do this. I'm like this. I'm the sluggard. I'm in a spiritual, uh, I'm, in, I'm, in a, I'm drowning spiritually because I never really get around to it. Could you just hold me accountable? Whatever it is, cry out to Jesus, cry out to somebody else to help you. Let's pray together. Lord, when we come to this book of wisdom, so practically helpful. And so we live in a country that has more wealth than that could, could possibly imagine and more debt than we can possibly imagine. And this, this little proverb here, if we just had taken it seriously individually or as a nation, we wouldn't be sucked out. But some people are living where their souls are drowning Because they're overwhelmed with their debt. And I pray that they would pray, scream out to you, urgently go get help. For those who find themselves in that sluggardly way, thinking, hey, just around the corner. They live their whole lives just around the corner. Would you you help them see it and get some help? For people who are quarrelsome, people who come in and don't really sow life, they sow death. Would you just help them see it, help them hear it? Help them turn away from that and turn towards the God who's gentle and graceful. And may that, may, may that mark their vocabulary. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.